Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Everybody awake and alive? Awesome. Well, we are super blessed to be a part of this church. Amen. How cool is it to be a part of a church with such great pastors and to be a part of a church that's committed to making people fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so we're so blessed to be a part of that. I want to warn you today, I have had two big glasses of sweet tea and I've had two giant glasses of iced coffee. So this might get a little crazy. So we're going to pray before we get started. And we're going to start right there. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. First of all, God, I just want to say thank you for you. Thank you for loving us the way that only you can. That God in our most broken hours, and then even in our most triumphant hours, you're the same at both times. That whether we failed or whether we've accomplished great things, it's always the same with you, God. You love us just the same way. And we thank you for Jesus and the example and the model that he showed us. But most importantly, we thank you for the victory over sin and death that he won for us. And today, God, we thank you for the people who are sitting right here in this room and for those who are watching via live stream. Father, we're so grateful for them. We're so grateful that Jeremiah 29, 11 says that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives to give them a future and a hope. And so God, as they hear this message today, I pray that it would come out right out of my mouth, God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that when it hits their hearts, that it would ignite something on the inside of them that sparks them to change, Father, their lives for the better, and God, to serve you with everything they have. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Today, we are talking about selective hearing. Every wife in the room just did a little peek at her husband right then, right? Every wife in the room said, how did you know my husband? To which I would say, no comment at all there. But how many of you guys have accidentally done the selective hearing thing at one time or another in your lives? Yeah? Okay, cool. Just checking. When I was a kid, I was really into reading books. I loved, loved, loved reading. I was probably in third grade and knocking down a 150-page book in a day. Um, I would just sit there and that's all I would do. And so I would just get lost and people would be like, hey, Cody, and nothing. And no clue that they said a word to me. Anybody ever done something like that? Yes? Okay. What about this one? Uh, If you're watching TV and you just get lost. This is probably a guy thing right here. You don't even know what you're watching. Your eyes are glazed and you're just done with work and that's all you know, right? So you're just looking and you're blank and nothing's happening. I have a niece who you can literally, she'll be watching TV and you can say her name and you can put your hand in front of her face, nothing. She'll just sit there like this and there's nothing you can do about it. The other thing I think about a lot of times when we tune the world out is in our cars. Somebody know what I'm talking about with this? You're sitting at a stoplight and your song comes on and you know how it starts, right? Your hands are on the wheel and the finger just starts going like this. But if the, if the light's long enough, it kind of depends on how long the light is, then different body parts start to move and you start just belting it out with no restraint. And then you look over, right? And you forgot that you don't have shades in your car. People were looking at you through the windows. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there, done that. So sometimes we get this thing with selective hearing and we kind of uh, tune the world out 
and we hear what we want to hear. Now, those are accidental forms of selective hearing, but sometimes, especially moms and dads in the room, you know all about intentional selective hearing, right? So with a kid, here's a great example. With a kid, you could say, hey, let's go get some ice cream and they can find their shoes in 10 seconds and be out the door. But if you say clean your room, I had no clue you said that, mom. They have absolutely no clue, apparently, what you said because they've chosen to listen to what they want to listen to and to block out what they don't. We think of selective hearing as being pretty negative, but selective hearing is actually a pretty amazing thing in what it does for you and I. If you think about it, selective hearing is what allows you in a restaurant full of people to talk to the person across the table from you. Selective hearing is what allows you when you lose your kid in the store to listen for their voice and find them. So selective hearing can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, it can be intentional, it can be unintentional. But here's the thing, I don't think selective hearing is just a natural thing. I believe selective hearing can cross over and be a spiritual thing. So today we're gonna look at an example of the ultimate, I believe, selective hearer, and his name is Jesus. So here we go in Mark 5, 21 through 43. There's a fantastic story about this. It's going to be a lot of reading, so hang in there. I promise I won't tune you out like I did when I was a kid. So here we go. Jesus got into the boat again. You ever notice they were going across the lake over and over and over again, but either way, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of a local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. You can say Jairus, Jairus, doesn't matter to me. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had actually gotten worse. So she had heard about Jesus, and so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe, because she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. So Jesus realizes at once that healing power had gone out from him. And so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? I always, I'm just going to stop you right here and I apologize. Every time I hear this, I think of Nacho Libre. Have you guys ever seen that movie? Anybody in here? When he says, let go of my blouse. That's every time what I think about. Anyways, so you can say, who touched my blouse? Whatever you want to say. And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she came and fell to her knees in front of him and she told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. 
So then Jesus stopped the crowd and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside the house and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, whatever, however you say that, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and they were totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. So in this passage, Jesus strategically ignores people, I think about four times. And I believe that Mark's gospel includes this for a reason. We believe that the scriptures, these writings that we have were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he put things in there for a reason for us to learn from. So I want to look today at those four times that I believe Jesus strategically ignored people or he practiced selective hearing. And I want us to see what we can get out of those. So number one, Jesus looks for the person who touched his robe. If you notice back in verse 32, it says that it says he kept on looking around to see who had done it. So there's a couple of things here and we'll dive into this a little bit. We see that this lady with an issue of blood, she touches Jesus robe and she's healed and he stops to figure out who touched him. And see, I often forget the context of what's really happening here. Because what we have to see is Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house to heal his daughter. And Jairus is a leader of a local synagogue. So it would kind of be like if he was one of the pastors on staff at a local church. So people know this guy. He has a, he has a position of spiritual authority in the town and, and really life centered around spiritual things back then. And so he was a prominent figure in this town. And Jesus is on his way to heal this man's daughter who's on her deathbed and he just stops on his way there. And what I think is so interesting about this lady with the issue of blood is that all we really know about this lady is that number one, she's very sick. Number two, according to the Jewish law, she's unclean and she shouldn't really be in that crowd. And she definitely shouldn't be touching the son of God. And number three, she is flat broke. So we've got an ultra religious, probably powerful, popular guy who needs a miracle now for his daughter. And Jesus is on his way to perform this miracle, but he stops for an unclean, sick, and flat broke lady whose name we'll never know. Just a side note on that. I, I think it's so interesting that you and I sometimes, we are asking God to bless us and we're waiting on him to bless us. And you can put yourself in either person's shoes, whether it's Jairus or this lady with the issue of blood. We're waiting on God to do something in our lives and it seems like it's happening for somebody else. Imagine being this leader of this synagogue and you're walking and you're like, Jesus is going to heal her. And then he just stops and takes his time. I can imagine being in the, in the, in the disciples shoes where they're like, Jesus, hello. They're not trying to be disrespectful, but they're like, listen, we don't have time to wait. This kid's on her deathbed. And so they're thinking through all of this stuff and they're trying to figure this out. Why is Jesus stopping now? And you can imagine what's going on in the synagogue leader's head. 
And what I think about this mentality that we have sometimes, this is just a total side note. What I think about this mentality we have sometimes is this. When we see God bless somebody else and we get jealous or we, concerned that he, we get concerned that he's not going to do it for us, it reveals a couple of things about what we believe about God. Number one, I think it reveals to us that we think that God isn't really powerful enough or able or capable of blessing both of us. Because if you have the mentality that God's got everything, he owns everything in the world and he is all powerful, then you believe that there's enough to go around. Really, you believe that there's a deficit in power or there's a deficit in wealth that God can't bless you and them both because there's just not enough to go around. Or number two, maybe it reveals that you and I think that God maybe loves them more than us maybe because of something they've done or something wrong that we've done. And we think that he's going to stop for them instead of us. Can I tell you something? I think that what that really reveals about us is that we need a better picture of God as our father. Because if God's a good dad, then he's got enough to go around. If you're talking about Christmas, and you start freaking out if, as a child because uh, somebody gets their present before you and th- you think there's going to be no more. Listen, if God's a perfect dad, he's got enough to go around and he's not basing it on how perfect you are compared to them. He's basing it on how much he loves you. So that's just a side note, something to think about. I love that God's not a respecter of persons, but Jesus stops and I think the disciples freak out and go, Hello, this girl's on her deathbed and we're not trying to be rude, but we got to get a move on right now. We don't have time. Good thing that lady got healed, but let's go heal this other kid right now, Jesus. We got a schedule to keep. And if you notice what the scripture says, he kept on looking around to see who had done it. See, no matter what people had said, Jesus just keeps scanning the crowd. He knows exactly what he's looking for. It's almost like he's, he has a radar out there and he's looking for this lady's faith. And then let's jump to number two really quick. Jesus then replaces words of fear with words of faith. Verses 35 through 36 says, while he's still speaking to her, the messengers arrived from the home of the leader of the synagogue and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. And it says, but Jesus overheard them and said to him, don't be afraid, just have faith. The Amplified Bible says it this way, overhearing, but ignoring them. The New King James says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken. So Jesus is like, I heard what they said, but I'm going to say what needs to be said right now. So he hears what they say and he, he hears the truth of the matter. The kid's dead, but he understands that he's got to speak a word of faith over this person. Now, just a note. If you think about in 1 John, if you're familiar with this passage of scripture, in 1 John, it talks about how perfect love casts out fear. And I love the picture here because Jesus was the gift of God out of love to the world to save us. And he being love, God is love. He speaks to this guy and says, don't fear. In this moment, we literally see perfect love casting out fear. So Jesus is showing us that not only do we need to choose what we don't want to hear, but we need to speak out what we do want to hear. He shows us right now that not only is he able, but that he's also willing because he's got love for this guy and for his daughter and he's going to heal them. 
Number three, Jesus kicks out the sources of doubt. I love that. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't cast out the rest of the people so harshly. And I don't have any proof of this, but I just wonder if it had to do with an attitude thing. People are laughing at him and mocking his faith. And so he's like, you know what? We're not going to be able to do this right now. You're going to have to go out and we're going to operate on our own in here. We're going to do our own thing. My question to you is what voices in your life are mocking the dreams that God's given you? What voices in your life are mocking the hope that he's put inside of you? What voices in your life are mocking the fact that you're believing that he's going to heal you? or he's going to save a family member, or he's going to provide finances for you. I'm not talking about literal people necessarily, although that can be the case. I'm talking about maybe things that you're watching or reading or listening to, or how about this, the voices of shame and fear and guilt and condemnation, and you'll never be enough that we hear inside of our heads. So all this is really great and really cool, but how does it translate to us? I want to give you four really easy ways to be a selective hearer. Like Jesus, you're going to want to write these down. These are easy things to remember. Some of them are kind of funny and kind of silly, and I'm okay with that. Number one is keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. What I think is so cool is when Jesus is looking for this lady in verse 32, it says he kept on looking and he knew exactly what he was looking for. And when Jesus was on his way to that place, that that, uh, man's house, and when he walked into that place, he knew exactly what he was looking to do. It wasn't like he was walking in and saying, well, gee, I hope she can be healed. I hope I can figure out a way to do something and make this situation work so I don't get embarrassed and have to walk out there and get laughed at again. But Jesus knew exactly what he was going for in both of those moments. He had seen God's vision for the situation and he wasn't about to let up until it had come to pass. So let me ask you this. What if you had a vision for what God wanted to do in your life and you held on to it so tightly and you ran after it so hard that no laughing, no criticism, no mocking, no lack of faith and no doubt could stop you? What if that was you today? Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Or another translation says, they run wild. I like that. I like it. It says they run wild. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He had seen from the father what he needed to do. And he was going straight for that. He wasn't going to get off course. He wasn't going to run wild. He wasn't going to run away because people criticized him because he knew what God had placed in his heart to do. My question to you today is, do you know what God's placed in your heart? And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know if I have a big calling. I don't know if I have something, some big dream in my heart. Okay, well, let's start with this. Do you know that Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope? Do you know that you're not headed for destruction, but you're headed for God's favor? If you can get something in your mind that tells you there's something beyond what I'm seeing right now, and I'm going to go straight for that. Listen, I grew up as a military kid back in the days of, it was the pre-GPS days. 
So I'm probably the last generation that learned how to use a map, which is pretty crazy when you stop and think about it. And when I got a little older, I would be the navigator. And we would travel from here to, say, San Diego. And it's only a couple couple things, so it wasn't too hard. And I couldn't mess it up too bad. But if we started on a trip and we had no destination, where would we end up? Wherever have no clue. Maybe you just drive till you find an ocean or something like that and you can't go any further. So you've got to have a picture in your life of what you want to see happen. Joshua 1, 7 through 8 says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left, and then you'll be successful in everything you do. It talks about keeping that book of instruction in you, day and night, meditating and thinking about it. And then you will prosper and succeed in all that you do. Listen, maybe you don't have a big dream for your life right now, but if you'll just keep the word of God in front of your eyes and you'll begin to see things from a bigger God-sized perspective, then I can guarantee you that the mockers and the doubters aren't going to be powerful enough to stop you from achieving what he's, he's created you to accomplish. So we've got to see that we have to fill our thoughts with the word of God. We've got to fill our thoughts with the mind of God. And we've got to see things from his perspective. Don't forget to keep your eyes on the prize. It's just like TV. If you don't like what you're seeing, just change it. You can do that. Number two is call it like he sees it. Now, this is where it comes into play because you've read the word and you've gotten it inside of your heart. And so now you're going to begin to speak out what you've heard him say already. So when those leaders come to Jairus with a bad, a bad report, they say, here's what's happening. This is the reality of the situation. Jesus immediately declares something else over the situation. He declares it the way that God sees it. And when he walks up and those people begin laughing at him, they laugh because he declares it the way that God sees it at that time. He says, she's just sleeping. That's God's perspective of the matter. But those people don't get it. And so we've got to be a people that know that when we walk through a tough situation, Jesus has already gone before us. He's already won the victory. And all we have to do is learn to talk like he talks. Have you ever hung out with someone enough that you begin to take on the attributes of the way that they speak? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And especially when you're a kid, your mom would be like, you're talking like so-and-so, you know? They would kind of say, don't talk like them. I had a friend when I lived in California and he would call our house and he would go, hey, is Cody there? This is Tim. And by the time he got through, is Cody there? Or maybe even, hey, they were like, Tim, we know it's you. It just, the way you talk is ridiculous, you know? He was the quintessential California kid. If there's anybody that I want to learn to talk like, it's Jesus. Romans 4.17 says that God gives life to the dead and he calls into existence the things that don't exist. If you're beginning to learn to talk like Jesus, if you're beginning to learn to speak out things the way that God does, what you're going to learn is that you're going to line up your words with what his word says. And what that's going to do is you're going to begin speaking about things that you've never seen yet, but they're going to come to pass. What God prophesies over your life, you're going to begin to speak the same exact thing. If you can't see that God does have a plan for you, if you can't see that God wants to prosper you right now, your financial situation looks terrible, you're going to begin to speak out and say, 
I know the plans God has for me and they're coming to me right now. God's going to prosper me. You're going to begin to agree with him in what he's prophesied over your life. When you say stuff like that, when you declare the word of God, when you begin to speak something out in the name and the authority of Jesus, you literally have the power to shift the atmosphere from one of fear to one of faith. Listen, nobody controls what's happening in here but you. You're the gatekeeper. You're the one who gets to decide what you're going to believe. Who are you going to listen to? And so our choice is to speak out what God says. And if we hear ourselves say it enough, we'll start to believe it. Have you ever known somebody that got so negative? Like they didn't start out that way, but they just, you just began to notice their speech pattern just shifting a little bit, little by little by little. And they, it seems like they just began to get in this nasty cycle. Anybody ever known somebody like that? You know, you can flip that cycle by speaking the word of God. And you may not feel like you believe it, but you just begin to say it over and over again. The point is, if you've dug deep in what God's told you in his word and in prayer, then you're going to begin to speak differently and you're not going to call things like you see them or like the doubters see them or like people who are mocking it see it. You're going to begin to call things the way that he sees it. Number three, this one's fun. Pick your peeps. This is the way my brain works and that's okay. When we see Jesus pick who, want, who he wants to go with him into the house, I'm guessing he probably picked his A-team. I don't know if it's because they were like more charged up and ready to go. I don't know if it's because he could trust them to, to um, retell the story the best. I don't know what it was, but these were some of the most zealous guys on his team. Peter was the, was the crazy guy. I'll do anything for you, God. And, and just, he was just that guy that talked a little too much, but he was passionate. James and John were called the sons of thunder. Those guys just, you can just imagine what that meant. They were crazy. So I think throughout scripture, we see God selecting teams, selecting people for high risk, high faith situations. But he doesn't just select these people who are giants in the, the faith. We see people like David, the conqueror. We see people like Moses, the deliverer. But what God originally saw and he looked past was everybody saw David, the puny shepherd kid. Everybody saw Moses, the stuttering spokesperson. And God saw past that and he saw who they were called to be. But one of the things that made these people so incredibly strong is they had people around them that would strengthen them. See, Moses had Aaron, he had Joshua, he had Caleb. David had Jonathan. He had a guy named Benaiah who had chased a lion into a pit and killed it. You don't jump into a lion unless you're a little crazy. I mean, jump into a pit to kill a lion unless you're a little crazy. And so they had these people around them that were faith builders. These people were people who would help them go through these storms with faith. My question to you is, maybe it's time for you to take a stand, maybe take a little bit of a cue from Jesus and pick some better people to go into battle with you. Doesn't mean you have to ostracize people, but maybe you need to say, okay, it's time for us to do things a little bit differently. You're a good friend, but you're not going to be my, my close friend in this area because we're going to walk through this with people who are going to believe the way that I do. In the Old Testament, we see the battle, uh, a, a very big battle in the book of Exodus. And we see that Joshua's fighting 
Moses, the Bible talks about if he would hold up his hands, they would win. God was fighting for them. And so every time he had his hands in the air, they'd win. And he got tired. And so his friends came along and they held up his arms for him. What kind of friends do you have? Are the prominent voices in your life agreeing with the word of God or are they feeding you doubt? The last thing is number four, cast out doubt. I love how direct Jesus was. Think about this. When, when that crowd came up and they started laughing at him, what are you talking about, Jesus? He doesn't waste any time. It just says that he says, leave. You're gonna have to go. You can't be here right now. Here's the thing about faith and here's the thing about selective hearing. Sometimes people just aren't gonna understand what God's placed in your heart. You may have a business idea or you may have a dream for your life to, to uh, maybe, maybe it's even teach a small group. I mean, a life group. I always get that wrong. A life group or something like that. You may have an, a plan and a dream for your life and people just don't get it. People don't understand why you're believing what the word of God says. And you know what you may have to do is you may have to say, I love you. But when it comes to this topic, I can't talk with you about this. I'm believing for my healing right now. And you don't believe that God's a healer. Listen, I'll talk to you about sports. I'll talk to you about cars. I'll talk to you about getting our nails done if you're a lady. But I'm not going to talk to you about that. You've got to selective, be selective and choose what you want to hear. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we can take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know what that means? You've got to decide which ones get to stay and which ones have to go. You can't always control what thoughts pop into your head, but you can control the volume on those and how long they get to camp out there. So if it comes in, you need to either decide to turn it down and kick it out or to keep it and amplify it. And that's up to you. And your measuring stick on that is what does the word of God say? What does God say about the matter? Second Timothy 1, 7 says, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit that's inside of you has a sound mind. You have self-control. You can choose to get those thoughts out of there. But it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think of it like this. You were created to dominate and not to let your thoughts dominate you. God gave you the power to choose what to think. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin. The only thing that we should be a slave to is Jesus Christ. So all he's gonna do for us is feed us great things. So what we can do though, is we can choose to go back into slavery to sin. We can choose to go back into slavery to those old thought patterns. We can choose to go on a downward spiral and begin to think that old way again. But God says, you're a new creation. You don't have to put up with that anymore. I sent my son to set you free. He rose again to give you the power to choose. The spirit that's inside of you is greater than the one that's in the world. And you don't have to think that way anymore. He's empowering us today. So at the end of the day, you got to remember to keep your eyes on the prize, to call it like he sees it, to pick your peeps. Can we all say that together? Pick your peeps. It just makes you smile. And cast out doubt. So here's my invitation to you. In order to learn how to be better at selective hearing, I want to encourage you to pick just one of those things this week. Keep your eyes on the prize, the vision he has for your life. 
Call it like he sees it. Speak the word and declare what God has prophesied over your situation. Pick your peeps. Choose good friends that are going to uphold you and cast out doubt. Take those thoughts captive. I want to encourage you to pick just one of those things this week to work on. And what I'd encourage you to do is write that down in your phone. It could even be right now. And at the end of the week, I want you to ask God, okay, God, how have I done on helping this get better? And how can I improve in this? How can I grow? Let's pick one thing and work on that and see what God does in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the son. We thank you that you sent him to give us victory and power. We thank you that the Holy Spirit inside of us empowers us to live a life that's not dominated by fear, but that's empowered by faith in God. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.